Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our lead pastor, Clark Poff. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, if you've been joining us for the past couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of a series called Parenting in the 21st Century. We are actually calling an audible today. We'll be back to that next week. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about something that is a huge spiritual issue for the body of Christ to have to come to terms with and to, to wrestle with because it's one that affects the entire world, affects everything and every part of life. And sometimes we can choose not to address it or uh, see it, but we have to. So let me begin. On the evening of April 4th, 1968, a Christian, a brother in Christ, a man of God was assassinated as he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. This fellow Christian was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As a black man, he knew the truth that all people are created equal, but he also knew the reality that people of color were not being treated equally. He knew from his own personal experience that basic human rights were not being given to people of color, rights which most white people took for granted. He was assassinated because he dared to speak up and to peacefully protest for civil rights. He was assassinated because the civil rights movement he led dared to shine the light on the sin of racism, which upset the status quo as more and more people began to see and be appalled at the evil and deadly atrocities committed under the cover of Jim Crow laws and segregation. You see, even after laws were passed, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that made it illegal to discriminate based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, and the Civil Rights Voting Act of 1965 that removed the barriers that prevented African Americans and other races from exercising their right to vote, these rights were still being denied in parts of our country. About this time, Chuck Colson and Timothy George have written this. If anyone had a right to unleash an uncivil, scathing attack on his opponents, it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It is hard for many people today to remember the conditions under which African Americans lived throughout the South and other parts of our country just over 50 years ago. Segregation, lynchings, African American churches and homes being firebombed, Jim Crow laws that prevented colored people from attending the circus or playing pool with whites or a host of other things. Yet civil rights leaders painfully and persistently and peacefully protested the injustice of segregation. In doing so, yes, they often broke segregation laws that had been put in place recently to keep them from protesting. And all too often, these protesters reaped a reward of fire hoses and police dogs and incarceration. Several Birmingham, Alabama clergy admonished the protesters, urging them to work within the law. Dr. King wrote a response to those clergy. Put yourself in his place. Who would not be furious, even enraged, by the statement of these ministers? How was King able to respond to such a, in such a civil and well-reasoned manner? 
Now remember, King himself was a Baptist pastor. And so now his colleagues were calling him out. And so he responded in what we know today as the letter from the Birmingham jail. And in it, he reflected deeply his Christian convictions. He quoted the words of Jesus. He quoted prophets. He appealed to the example of the Apostle Paul and Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther and John Bunyan. Also, he did not question his opponent's motives. Instead, he called them men of genuine goodwill, whose criticism was sincerely set forth. I want to try to answer your statement, he wrote, in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. And that he did. Yes, King clearly cataloged the injustices faced by African Americans. He called white moderates to task and forcefully reminded them that justice delayed was justice denied. And most famously citing Augustine, he claimed that an unjust law is no law at all. But King never engaged in name-calling or personal attacks. Without distortion, he patiently and fairly acknowledged his opponent's positions, and then he dismantled them. He had reason, justice, facts, and conviction on his side, as, as well as the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not need vitriol, and he didn't employ it. You know, our, our country is grappling with many high-stakes, emotionally-charged issues we should defend our positions vigorously and with conviction, but with civility. That's why our nation, more than ever, needs the spirit contained in King's letter from the Birmingham jail. Now, we know that Dr. King was a charismatic speaker and a prolific writer. If you've never read his writings, I encourage you to. I mean, many of you are probably familiar with his I Have a Dream speech, or at least the most popular part. But read the entire speech. It's powerful. It's amazing. Read his entire letter from the Birmingham jail and see how insightful it is for us today, more than 50 years later. Today we're going to be looking at how God's word shows us clearly that unity among all people should be the norm and not the exception, especially for followers of Christ and therefore, Christ followers of all ethnicities should continually work to dismantle all sinful behavior and especially racism and discrimination. I want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is teaching about prayer and he gives us an, an example of how to pray. We all probably, if we were raised in the church, know this as either the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. But let's read it again just to look at what Jesus said. It begins in verse 9 of chapter 6. Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As I've been reading over that prayer in recent weeks, one part of it caught my attention. One phrase. Jesus told us that our prayers should be formed around seeing the will of God done on earth 
as it's already being done in heaven. Have you ever thought about how God's will is implemented in heaven? I mean, if you read through the scriptures, you'll get glimpses here and there of what heaven is like, what's actually going on there now. Yes, there's worshiping. Yes, there's serving God. But there's also people connecting and fellowshipping in heaven. This morning, I want to focus on something that we know is already going on in heaven, but what God wants to happen here on earth. And and as we do so, it's not so much that it's going on, but it's who's doing it in heaven that's important for us to see. In several places in the book of Revelation, we read that heaven is a place where there are a lot of people. And when heaven talks about that great number of people, it says that they are persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Now let me unpack those words by going back to the original language. When when you go back to the original language that the scriptures were written in, sometimes you gather some understanding, some nuances, some insight that maybe you didn't have just from our English language. So the first word in there is tribe. So the Greek word for tribe is pronounced phule, and it means one's clan or one's kindred. So, so think about your nuclear family, but the subsequent generations. Obviously, they'll be in heaven. They're in heaven right now if they believed in Jesus. The next word is the word language, or in some older translations, tongue. Uh, the Greek word translated as language is glossa. If it sounds a little bit familiar, that's where we get the uh, word in English, glossary, which is a catalog of words or of language. Um, The next word in Greek is the the word for people, and it may sound just a a tad familiar. In the Greek, it would be laos, but if you were to see it spelled out, it looks very familiar. It looks like the name of a country in East Asia, Laos. What does Laos mean? People. Laos means people. The last word is the word nation. And the Greek word is ethnos. From where we get our English words ethnic and ethnicity. What does all this tell us? You see, it tells us that in heaven right now and when we will get to heaven sometime in the future, it's going to be a place that is multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual, that it's a diverse group of people and everyone will see everyone and they'll embrace this and everyone will understand one another and everyone will be in unity amidst all of this diversity. This is amazing. And oh yeah, (laughs) It's God's will for this on earth because it's the reality in heaven right now. This is what the kingdom of God looks like in heaven, which God wants us, his followers, his sons and daughters to help put in place on this earth in our lifetimes. So in heaven, let's look at this. In heaven, we will all be united in Christ. In the book of Revelation, we get this inside look at what heaven will be like. The apostle John has this vision of heaven, and in it we see all of the inhabitants of heaven gathered around the throne of God singing to Jesus. And this is what we read 
It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That last phrase tells us that there are people from every aspect of this world, every corner of this world, every skin tone, language, ethnicity, everything. And the one thing that they all have in common is that their salvation was purchased, as it says, by the blood of Christ. In other words, by his sacrificial death on the cross to pay for their sins, where he also paid for our sins. Now stop and think about that for a moment. In heaven, there are people of all skin colors, black, brown, white, and every skin tone in between those. And this multicolored multitude in the, heaven, in the heavens right now will be there when you and I arrive sometime in the future. But, but think deeper. You know, when you have people of uh, different groups, different clans, different kinfolk, when you have different languages and different cultures here on earth, sometimes uh, that leads to confusion. Sometimes that leads to misunderstanding. And even worse, sometimes it, it leads to bad behavior, racism, and other things. But here is the big picture of heaven. All of these people with all of their differences are united. They're united in heaven. There is harmony. In fact, they are doing everything together. Why is it going so well? Because they are united in Christ, but also because this is the will of God for those who believe in him, for God's spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. They are united and as we would say about children, they're playing well together in the sandbox. Why? Because it's the will of God. Remember, what did Jesus say? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it's already happening in heaven, even as we live and breathe. So they were united in Christ. But they're also united in purpose. So let's talk about that. Their, their purpose in heaven, the main purpose, I mean, there's lots of things that you'll do in heaven, but the main purpose is to worship God. So throughout the book of Revelation, we see in heaven worshipers gathering around God and Jesus, worshiping them. In chapter 7, we see a specific group of people, those who have come through the great tribulation, which Scripture talks about. And this is what it says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worshiping God and Jesus Christ. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they're doing the most important thing. In fact, they're doing the main thing. And the main thing in heaven is to keep the main thing the main thing. They're not letting their, their differences separate them. They are not letting their earthly experiences separate them into groups or make them disagree. 
They are focused on giving all glory and honor and praise to God. And that's not just in singing. I think that's in their serving and in their relating and connecting with one another and everything else that goes on in heaven. Because remember, worship is not just singing. Worship is not just something that happens in a church building on a specific day at a specific time. Worship is how we live our lives. And in heaven, how we live our lives will be worship to God. Why? Because that's God's will. You know, it's interesting to think about in the history of the church, there have been periods in the church where actually there has been great division around worship. Different styles, different flavors. Some preferred traditional, some preferred contemporary. But in the end, that's not what worship is about. We need to appreciate the different styles. Yes, you may have an affinity toward one kind, and if if that's what you have, then certainly lean into that. But in heaven, that's not an issue. I suspect there's all kinds and styles and flavors of worship of God. But it doesn't matter what the kind is because the main thing is not how one worships. The main thing is the object of the worship, and that's God. Now, what did Jesus say? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it's already happening right now. This heavenly scene also shows us that in heaven, people are united in their relationships. You know, you can't be involved in something bigger than yourself, like a church, like a ministry that worships God. You can't be involved in it without making some relationships and developing some friendships and creating some connections. And because we're human, unfortunately, we can't go through life without having some conflicts and experiencing some pain and some suffering amongst ourselves because that unfortunately happens with us. We are sinners. But in heaven, things will be different. In fact, right now, things are different in heaven. In the 21st chapter of Revelation, we read this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's going to be different in heaven. Yeah, no pain, no suffering, no tear. What does that mean? That means, as he says, that the old order has passed away. What we experience down here has passed away. In the new heaven, in the new earth, in heaven, there will be a new order focused around Jesus. And among other things, that means that the evils and the pain and the sin of human conflict that exists on earth does not exist there. In heaven, there is no anger. There is no hurt. There is no racism, no discrimination. In heaven, we will see one another as God sees us, and we will love one another as God loves us. What did Jesus say? God, your will be done on earth as it already is being done in heaven. In August of 2017, I had an epiphany 
when I saw, as many of you saw, the racial violence that broke out in Charlottesville, Virginia. I realized that as a white person, most white people like me see racism in what we saw in Charlottesville as a group of racist people chanting racist slurs and attacking other people. But then I realized that racism oftentimes is less obvious, more subtle. It shows up in attitudes that we don't question or actions that we really haven't looked into or things that we say that we never thought about the implications of them. But they're in our lives. Why don't we question those things? Well, honestly, because we don't like to look inside and question why we do what we do or say what we do or think what we think. We don't like to do that because we don't want to upset the status quo of our lives. We don't want to admit that we treat people who are different from us differently. We don't question it. As a white person, I realized that I did not want to admit that because of my skin color, I have an advantage of not having to deal with what it's like to be treated differently because of my skin color. I realized I didn't have to think about race. I didn't have to think about racism on a daily basis. When I read the letter from the Birmingham jail, I hear Dr. King's words speak to me. Let me quote one section. He wrote that he had reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate. The white moderate. The one who, like me, didn't want to think, hey, you know, I have some bias and some discriminatory thoughts and words and actions uh, who want to think that, you know, it's not affecting me, so I don't have to deal with it. But according to what Jesus tells us, we do. He tells us that we should pray that we would be part of God's will on earth as it's already taking place in heaven and What's going on in heaven? Again, it's a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual place where everybody is loved and accepted and treated the same way by God because he loves us all, regardless of the color of our skin or our ethnicity or our language. And he calls us. He calls me. He calls you to see that his will is done on earth as it's already happening in heaven. You know, for followers of Jesus, we have to think about these things. We don't really have the option. Why? Because when we came to faith in Jesus, we were adopted into his family. And he said, I want to see my will done through our lives. What does that mean? That means we have to actually set aside doing things our way and start doing things God's way. Start trying to think God's thoughts, although that's hard to. But look, we have God's word that speaks to us and makes it very clear. Over and over, we see that God's will is happening in heaven, but it's not happening on earth. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to work to eradicate the sin from our lives that separates us from God, that, that keeps us from doing God's will. 
We know that our human ways are not God's. So we have to be intentional about seeing God's will be done on earth. So I want to urge you to be intentional, to think about it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as I close. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to be intentional. Listen, you know, when that happened to me in 2017, what I began to realize was I don't know what I don't know and I need to know. And so I began to educate myself. It was my responsibility. Now, I have the blessing of, of having some race mentors. One of them is my friend, Ken Moaning. He's sitting over here. Thank you for coming today, Ken and family. Um, and he's been long-suffering with me because um, I didn't get it. Um, but I had to take responsibility. It wasn't Ken's job or my other race mentor's job to educate me, although I listened when they talked to me, but I had to learn things that I was not aware of and that honestly, when I discovered them, I was shocked because I'd never heard these things before or recognized them, but they were right before me. All I had to do was look for them. I had to recognize that I don't know what it's like as a white person to live in the shoes of somebody with black or brown skin. And so with those relations with learning, I began to do that. And I began to close my mouth and listen. Now, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just telling you my journey. And that journey is important for all of us because as sons and daughters of God, we're responsible for seeing God's will be done on earth as it's already doing in heaven. And as scripture points us out, it is a multicultural, multi-ethnic place. And we need to work for his kingdom. So I want to encourage you to do something about this. You know, you have the option to leave today and say, well, that was interesting and not think about it. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody after the first service and said, well, I feel guilty. I said, well, let that guilt motivate you to learn not to get angry. Because the purpose of God's word is to help us become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Let it motivate you. We always try to give you some next steps. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more, there's a couple of opportunities that are happening this week. Tomorrow night in Granby, the Granby Racial Reconciliation Team is sponsoring a Zoom panel discussion. You can go to the resource page on our website and you can find out how to be a part of that and to participate in it. Uh, you've heard me talk about Latasha Morrison and her book, uh, Be the Bridge. Uh, there is actually a, a virtual life, uh, virtual Be the Bridge group starting this week, and you can be a part of it. Again, if you go to our resource page on the website, you can find out more about it. But ultimately, it comes when we make a decision to say, all right, I'm praying for God's will to be done, but am I letting him do his will in my life and through my life? And that's a decision that we all have to realize and reckon with and decide to do. So I want to pray for us that we would lean in to that instead of away from it. And I also want to say this, you know, I've talked a lot about heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven today. And if you've never told Jesus you believe in him and accept his forgiveness for your sins that's what's part, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to let God's will become your will. So in this prayer time, if you've never told him you believe in him, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do so. And if you pray that prayer, 
you know, let us know. Send us an email so that we can encourage you with some information and some resources. So let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your love for us and your care for us and that you see worth in every single one of us. Lord, help us not shy away from the challenging things in God's word that would upset our status quo, but let us lean into it. Let us lean into it and recognize that you call us to you. And as we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us know that you want us to be part of that will being done. And for anyone who's never cross that line of faith to tell Jesus you believe in him. I invite you to put these words in a phrase, a prayer back to God. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. Now I want to follow him forever. Lord, we lift all these prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.